You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Idea Farm Malaysia. Since the 7th century, the Strait of Malacca has been one of the most vital international waterways. The strait links the Indian Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, allowing access to the rest of the globe for the major Asian economies of India, China, Japan, South Korea and ASEAN. Indonesia and Malaysia are not only the two nearest ASEAN countries to the Malacca Strait with the longest coastline on the strait, but both nations also bear a significant burden for the safety and security of the strait. It is estimated that over 70,000 ships and more than one-third of the tonnage of world shipping utilize the strait annually. The Malacca Strait Regulation System, including the functions of each country under the regulation, has not yet been the subject of an agreement between the concerned countries. So, what is Malaysia's responsibility? And is the Malacca Strait truly guaranteed? our sovereignty and security. In our episode today, we are going to find out about this from none other than Dr. Adina Kamarudin, the Director General of the Maritime Affairs Department within Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Malaysia. Dr. Adina, welcome to Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you very much. Assalamualaikum. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim and good morning. Thank you for having me here. My first question, the maritime related issues in Malaysia are under the purview of the Maritime Affairs Department, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. What are the responsibilities and core function of this department? Any other ministry or agency that the department works closely with regards to the street of Malacca? Yeah, okay. Thank you for that first question. So basically, when we have this uh, maritime department in Wisma Putra itself, or Ministry of Foreign Affairs, of course, it's very much related to the maritime issues uh, at hand, but not necessarily that this uh, department covers every maritime issue. But uh, what it is, is uh, it plays the role of leading some of the uh, very significant issues that we have with our neighbours. So when we say that, that means we uh, we are talking about, you know, issues relating to overlapping claims. As you know, we are also situated in the middle or between, as you mentioned earlier, Straits of Malacca and also between uh, that of South China Sea. And we both, and Malaysia have, you know, the East Malaysia and Peninsula Malaysia, and as a coastal states, which are very, which is very close to its neighbors. So you have overlapping claims between Malaysia and Singapore, Malaysia and Indonesia, Malaysia and Vietnam, Thailand, and also the issue of South China Sea. So the core issues would be the 
overlapping claims that we have of our neighbors. So that's one. Then we also uh, are also, you know, very much uh, into the work of maritime security, although the agencies uh, that lead this, for example, on security will be the National Security Council. We also have the enforcement agencies who are doing uh, enforcement on the ground, like uh, our Coast Guard, uh, MMEA and the Navy, Navy uh, Marine Department, you know, and, and to the closer areas to the coast would be the police marine so so our work would be one i would say just outside our our door or the coastal area itself overlapping claims and then uh, maritime security and then regional will be issues like south china sea declaration code of conduct and then negotiating on the code of conduct and then if you look at it globally we also have the issues like at the un on oceans and law of the sea and of course recent in recent years is also including um you know issues and following negotiation on biodiversity uh, beyond national jurisdiction for example well i think that involves a lot of hard work dr ajina well coming to my second question as one of the key commerce routes the streets of malacca is exposed to the danger of pirates how grave is the impact of this issue and what measures the government has taken in dealing with privacy threats to ensure control over Malaysia's sovereignty and security. Apart from that problem also, what are the other security issues related to the Malacca Street that affect our nation? Okay. Um. Uh. When you talk about piracy, that's of course is a uh, maritime security issues. Uh. When um issue of piracy, for example, is you know uh is nothing new. Uh. It's been uh, around. I'm not talking just Straits of Malacca, but piracy has been around as um security issues since I don't know many many few uh, centuries. Yeah. That's why you have the stories of pirate of Caribbean and such. But Straits of Malacca, yes, at one point, it was also very much exposed to, to the issue of piracy. And not just the Strait of Malacca, if you look at uh, the Indian Ocean, for example, in, you know, earlier in 2011, up to 2015, uh, if people were to look back and they would remember the issue of um, a Gulf of Aden, the piracy in the Gulf of Aden, which was actually, you know, in a sort of a turn into a, a movie, issue of Bunga Emas Lima. Bunga Emas Lima is our ship that actually went to, to save and had an operations in the Gulf of Aden to um, sort of, you know, um, free some of, our, some of our people who were on the ships that was, you know, invaded by the pirates. So piracy is always very important. Uh, security issue and also an economic issue because uh, when a straits is not uh, um, secure, for the ship to transfer its goods, uh, to transverse in that water, it becomes uh, a burden uh, to everyone that is affected by the movement of goods, by the needs for the supply chain to not be disrupted. So these are some of the issues why when we talk about why we need to face and address the issue of piracy. You know, having said that, efforts by Malaysia, for example, unilaterally or in cooperation with other littoral states, that means the states which are situated, you know, along the streets of Malacca, like Singapore and Indonesia, you know, have shown overall improvement in maritime security area. So previously, as you mentioned, there were issues of piracy, 
but some of the successes of the efforts have been acknowledged by reports worldwide, among others by the International Maritime Bureau, IMB, uh, through their weekly or annual reports. And then there was, very importantly, there was declassification of the Straits as a high-risk zone by the Joint War Committee of Lloyd's Market Association in August 2006, yeah, since. And that is another example of the fruitful outcome of the efforts by Malaysia and the other littoral states in ensuring uh, the security of maritime navigation in the Straits of Malacca. So the strategic importance for Malaysia and the Straits itself is how it attracts the attention from many countries. Uh, you have uh, countries which are from East Asia, like Japan, China, Korea. Of course, they look at it as uh, an interest as well because their ships or their uh, goods are being uh, transported through the Straits of Malacca. And then we also have from the other part of the Indian Ocean, India, Middle East, even Europe, trying if they have to come up to the area on this side of the East Asia or Southeast Asia, the strait also plays a strategic part in that route or the trade route itself. That's why it's all interrelated. But of course, the issue of maritime security is not just focused on piracy itself. So as or as things progress, as sent, you know, uh, countries develop, you can see that some other maritime threat or challenges also comes to the fore. For example, human trafficking, smuggling of goods, smuggling of um, weapons. Yeah, so those are also coming up. It's not just piracy. So it's it's a whole thing that we have to look when we uh, address issues of maritime security in the region, in the Straits of Malacca. But, but like I said earlier, it's a very positive sign that we have lifted off the lift of the list as a high-risk zone and that parties or the littoral states uh, in the Straits of Malacca are working uh, towards uh, you know, maintaining the peace and security in, in the Straits. Speaking of um, maintaining the sovereignty and security of uh, Straits of Malacca, um, the Malacca Strait Maritime Patrol is a program that Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia and Thailand have agreed to use to undertake coordinated patrols in uh, the Malacca Strait. What is the purpose of this patrol and how far will the nation's collaboration extend? Are there any other international patrolling initiative that involve Malaysia and how does that work? Thanks, what you thought about asking this morning. So earlier I mentioned about the maritime security issues in the Straits of Malacca and that's why uh, countries, the littoral states, uh, would work together and is continuing to work together and one of it is the Malacca Straits Patrol. Yeah? And this is because I think all the countries in this uh, particular you know, uh, body of water believe that the countries need to work together in ensuring the security of the maritime areas. So in this uh, regard, Malaysia, Indonesia and Singapore, the three countries launched the Malacca Straits Patrol in 2014 and the MSP uh, consists of two components. So the Malacca Straits Sea Patrol is called the MSSP and the Ice in the Sky or the EIS. 
air patrol. So with the uh, implement implementation of the MSP, what we have now in the Straits of Malacca is a comprehensive arrangement because you have it from the air, uh, surveillance from the sea, uh, control and surveillance. So the outcome is a comprehensive arrangement for maritime security. And in that sense, um, the desired outcome could be said that it has been achieved with these two uh, surveillance methods in the Malacca Straits Patrol. And sometimes, yes, you use the word coordinated patrols. Uh, this is very important because sometimes you may hear it's coordinated patrol or joint patrol. So uh, it, it has different connotation, uh, different kind of uh, models of friendly itself. So call, uh, coordinated uh, straight patrol is like you stay in your vessel in a way and you are in within your area. Yeah, But sometimes uh, for joint patrol, you know, the desired uh, agreement between the countries and the area is more coordinated patrols so that everybody knows uh, the area that they are supposed to uh, monitor and survey. So joint patrols is different thing, it's more sensitive. So, And how it works, it works again, like I said, uh, through the sea surveillance and the eye and the sky surveillance for this. Uh, other international patrolling initiatives, you know you've heard of Sulu Sea, right? So uh, Sulu Sea is the other side. So, of, uh, it, you know, Malaysia is not in the peninsula, but um, some sort of trilateral cooperative arrangement between Malaysia, Indonesia and the Philippines. So this was established in 2016 and it's um, to address the security issue in the Sulu Sea. So the TCA was designed to intensify security efforts to address kidnapping of seafarers by militant groups, for example, in the southern Philippines. And this includes maritime patrol, air patrol, port visits and maritime uh, training activities, uh, as well as, you know, the establishment of Maritime Command Center. Uh, so, yeah, hope that's a quite comprehensive answer to your third question. Thank you, Doctor, for the comprehensive answer. Uh, and I find it very interesting also when you did mention and elaborated on eye in the sky. I mean, in terms of technology, I believe eye in the sky had helped to plug the gap of uncovered area by this uh, patrolling vessel uh, to some extent. Uh, is it correct, Luther? Yes, yes, because some uh, eyes in the sky would would have that that uh, different kind of vision, right? Uh, whereas you know on naval or sea patrol, you know that would also take time uh, in the in, in terms of movement or knowing uh, what is happening on the ground itself. So, uh, so that's why it's called like you know the straight patrol uh, wanted to have something which is very comprehensive. So you have, you know, the from air and also uh, on the at sea itself. I see. It's good to know that these joint efforts have proven to be fruitful among the participating countries. Doctor, uh, moving on to our next question, which Malaysia has boundary claims with its neighbours. How does Malaysia approach the issues with its neighbours, given that the sensitivity of the deliberation of maritime demarcation lines conducted? Doctor, over to you. 
Okay, um, you know, um, next or closest to us is Singapore and uh, Indonesia in, in the peninsula as well as in the east of Malaysia. So when you ask how how do we approach this, or a lot of things which are related to the sea, you have to look at the application of the sorry United Nations Convention on Law of the Sea 1982. So uh, where the area where we have overlapping claims or what we call disputed areas, of course, we would look at dispute settlements, you know, dispute settlement method under UNCLOS, for example. Of course, things are being done, for example, all ASEAN state, right? So in the region uh, where we believe in peace and security, we would also look for the best way that would not create a complication. You know, overlapping claims or a maritime dispute will always be some sort of a bilateral irritants, but that does not find the whole uh, bilateral relationship of uh, between two countries, for example. So things are, or issues on maritime uh, delimitation or overlapping claims are always uh, approached through diplomatic channels, through negotiations, you know, to, through uh, different coming out with our position. So, for example, Malaysia and Indonesia, we had an earlier uh, sort of bilateral relation between uh, two countries on territorial sovereignty of Sipadan and Ligitan. So when we went to ICJ, the outcome was that those two uh, features belong to Malaysia. And then once we, you see, um, why um, there is always issue, there will always be issue uh, related to the sea because when you have land in a coastal state, you will have the sea. So once you have the land, for example, land title or the territorial sovereignty, the next course of action is of course to determine the maritime area of that particular land. So we had our 1979 map and then we, and there was a, you know, a discussion or a overlapping actual territorial sovereignty on Sipadan Ligitan, for example, in the area of the coast of Sabah. So what we did was we went, both countries agreed, and there was also two diplomatic channel negotiations and agreed to go to the ICJ for the title, for example. And once the title belonged to a state, the next thing you have to look at the maritime entitlement of the whole coast area plus the feature itself. So what we did was there was a slight irritant then, but both countries, you know, in the uh, pursuit of peace and um, security in the area, agreed to negotiate. And so we, uh, this is how Malaysia and its neighbour, you know, we create the platform for negotiation to understand each other's position and also to negotiate each other's position, applying, you know, universal recognised principle of international law, of course, including peaceful settlement of disputes under our clause. We have the same with Singapore, you know, after Singapore, the outcome of the ICJ decision Singapore and Batu Pute, and we have the Middle Rocks and the issue of Southlash uh, not having a territorial sovereignty but belonging to which maritime areas it will belong to is where it's situated. So in 2008, there was also an establishment of a Malaysia-Singapore Joint Technical Committee between two countries to discuss this issue. And later on, in the case of uh, in the area of uh, uh, Tuas and Tanjung Pi, we also uh, agreed both countries, Malaysia and Singapore, peacefully agreed, negotiated to have a platform to negotiate uh, the uh, maritime. Um, you know, overlapping claims in, in both areas. Uh, in some cases, you see that in Malaysia and Thailand, this was before, nearly 50 years ago, there was the idea then to shelf 
kind of dispute to kind of shelf the dispute and we both agreed on in a what we call a mechanism which is called the some sort of joint development arrangement on petroleum or hydrocarbon sorry development so we have the MTJA uh, then we have also some commercial arrangement between the sliver of overlapping claim between Malaysia and Vietnam of the coast of uh, east coast of Malaysia we have the Petronas and Petro Vietnam commercial arrangement agreement so these are the ways uh, we either shall in a way in, in interim, you know, we go in for the win-win through JDA, Joint Development Arrangement, through Commercial Arrangement, or we also go into proper negotiation, again, applying, upholding the rule of law, negotiating between two countries where both are interested in the peaceful outcome of any disputes that we have between us, right? I see. Um that is very interesting to know, Doctor. Doctor, the Thai government's intention to build the Thai Canal is projected will alter the regional's maritime and economic landscape. Could you share with us Malaysia's take on this project and how this initiative will have impact on the Malacca Strait, especially to our nation? So on this, I think I'll, I'll go, you know, very general on it because there's been a lot of discussion in it as well. But the exact detail will, you know, we still have to look at it. It's always an interesting issue and interesting question being brought up. As you know, this uh, issue is also not new. I think but from the last century, there have been discussion on that Isthmus Kra, right? The, uh, the Thai Canal projected. So that has always been the idea because as... Uh, by countries, for example, because they look at the issue of Straits of Malacca as it, you know, as we progress and there are more goods that has been transported there. So there's like overcrowding and there's, there's this uh, shipping issues of pollution. And, and I think the most, um, what the countries who are Transversing through that, uh, uh, our, our waters, for example, is Straits of Malacca. This is part of their, uh, you know, uh, worry on the choke points that we have in Straits of Malacca. So the idea of building that canal, you know, had, you know, um, widely gained this attention from policymakers, legislators, maritime activities, shipping and sea, seaport operators, perhaps, perhaps due to the advantage as big cost saving. Higher levels of safety and security, maybe also the issue of short distance and time compared to where they are, you know, uh, how they are doing now. And however, this thing as well is is it's always um, uh, being discussed, but uh, at the same time, but that does not mean that it's just straight Malacca. There's also other countries in that in that area that will be affected as well. How far we are now on it, I know I, I don't think I'll, I'll comment on that. But um, of course, there will be, you know, implication in terms of economics, in terms of maritime uh, maritime infrastructure in this area which we have built and which we have uh, are doing you know uh, it's not just us you know that uh, Singapore has also infrastructure in that area so the implication would be not just to Malaysia but the littoral states uh, in the streets of Malacca itself. Thank you very much Dr. Adina for speaking to us today. Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast, Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.